It's done. How many? Five? I think I'm supposed to, I don't have to say how long I'm in Illinois. Someone already did that for me. So, um, what I will tell you, though, is my name is Janet, and uh, that's very important to me because I found Janet when I came to Illinois. I did not know that she was there because she was a part of him, and that's who I was. I was him, and it took me a long time to get me I was Mrs. Jack, or I was Mrs. Him, or I was Debbie's mother, Jack's wife, but no one knew my name. When I first came to some meetings with Jack, um, I went to some AA meetings with him, and whenever someone would call me Mrs. Jack or Mrs. D, I would correct them, and I would tell them to stop so I could tell them what my name was. And I spelled it for them so that, you know, they would remember me. And a lot of, they remembered me. They didn't like me much, but they, <laughs> they remembered me and they remembered my name. And that's what I was out there to do. I wanted them to have my name. Before I come downstairs today, I, I was up in my room and I was just um, singing my ABCs over and over and over because... Um, that's the way I pray. And I pray like that because I read that in one of our, our books about a lady that was walking through the woods and she heard this little boy and he was singing his ABCs over and over. And she asked him why he was doing that and he said he was saying his prayers. And he said his prayers that way because he didn't know what he needed and he wasn't sure what. So what he did is he just gave God all the letters, and then God could take out of the alphabet the right words <laughs> that he needed. And so I kind of like, you know, before I come up here, I, I don't want to think. <laughs> because when I first came down on the thing they told me was, don't think. You cannot think. In your case, you screw everything up. So now today I know the difference. I know now when I can think and when I can't. And before I'm going to come up here, I know I cannot think. So in order to do that, I just say my ABCs over and over and over so that I can, like, let God come into this body. All I have to do is, like, clean it and dress it and put it up here. And, and then let that's what's going to happen. And so whatever comes out, like, it's not me. So you'll know that right off the bat. If you don't like it... It's not my fault. You can talk to God. <laughs> um, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. Isn't that funny? You know, I, like, I don't know anybody who isn't. <laughs> you know, everybody I know is. So that's nothing special, you know. I was raised without any affection, or you never said, I love you. You didn't touch each other. That was not in my home. I didn't have that. And uh, I met Jack when I was like 14. And um, I don't remember life without him, to tell you the truth. It's been so long. But when I met him, the first thing he wanted to do was start touching me. You know. <laughs> and, uh, I wasn't used to that touching, hugging, kissing stuff. You know, I lived without it, and then I, you know, I wasn't used to it. But I learned to like it. 
And so it, it was all right, you know. So that became all right with him. And um, I did like it. But you know what I learned? Um, I, I could live without it. And the further that uh, this disease of alcoholism progressed in my house, um, I found out that if I got that affection, then I'd get hurt because of it. And so I didn't want it anymore. And that was real weird. Um, you know, alcoholism is a progressive disease, and it's just as progressive on my side of the fence as it is on the alcoholic side. And um, the only way I can explain, I could kind of explain what happened to me is when we first got married, Jack told me that he would never drink. <laughs> and I didn't see a problem with it. I mean, why would you even mention it? I don't care if you drink. <laughs> and, you know, and so about 14 months later, um, he was getting ready to go out. And um, he had taken a shower, and he didn't have any clothes on from the waist up. And I was earning his white shirt so he could go. And he was very impatient. And he was hollering at me. And I had Debbie in the crib crying because she wanted out. But I didn't want her out because I didn't want her burnt with the iron, so I was keeping her in there until I was done ironing his white shirt. And he was very impatient, and he was hollering, and I decided that I didn't want to finish this shirt, and I decided he wasn't going out that night. And so I told him so. And, like, he didn't like, he didn't like me telling him that, so I just took the iron and ripped it out of the wall, and I backed him into a corner with my iron. <laughs> And all he, all he said was, you know what, I'm not going anywhere tonight. <laughs> and I thought, geez, I won, you know. And now I have an answer. And I think, I, think, I think through the years, Jack and I knew one another. I knew when he was crazy enough to kill me and I'd back off. And I think he knew when I was crazy enough to kill him and he knew when to back off. And that was time to back off because he doesn't have the mark of an iron on his chest today. So he knew to back off at that time. And I was only married 14 months, and I had said, I don't mind if you drink, and here I am. I mind it. I mind it a lot. And so the only thing that I tried to do then was to get him to stop. Why are you doing this? And, of course, I'd ask him why he was doing this. Why aren't you coming home here? You know, Because he was the one that was doing it, so he's the one that had the answers. So I'd go directly to the source. Why are you drinking like this? Well, do you really want to know? You know, and yeah, I wanted to know. And and meanwhile, I didn't realize that he was thinking something up to say. You know, you really want to know? And he come up with, well, sometimes when I come home from work, he's you have rollers in your hair, <laughs> and that makes me drink. <laughs> Now, I believed him. So I made a standing appointment at the beauty shop for a year. And I went every Friday morning. The owner of the shop did my hair. And I would take a magazine every week. I found another hairdo, and I want this one. And I'm trying to find the one that's going to make him quit drinking. <laughs> you know, and he never quit. 
And I had to quit because I didn't have money to do this with my hair all the time, you know? So I had to give up on that. That didn't work. And so one of the other um, answers that I come up with, too, was great because um, he loves to eat and he loves spaghetti. And um, we had spaghetti for dinner one night, and then we went out as a little family visiting. And as soon as we got there, they said, Jack, would you like a beer? And he said, oh, no. I just ate spaghetti, and I can't drink. Oh, my God. So I found another answer. See? So I would feed him spaghetti any time we were going anywhere together because he would embarrass me, you know? I mean, I had to watch over him. When he was in that room over there, I'd be in this room over here, and I'd try to listen to what he was saying because sometimes he'd say stupid stuff. And I'd have to run in that room and explain to those people what he meant by what he said. And he'd say, I mean what I'm saying. I said, no, you don't. You know, you keep quiet. This is what he means, you know. Oh, see, putting this badge police thing back on, you know, that brings those things back in mind, you know. It's losing control and doing real good with it. Oh, so it, I liked then his and his family was on my side, and that is really what I thought. This I must be right because his grandmother, she helped me a lot, and um, the one thing she told me to do was make sure that I fed him grease before he went out to drink, because <laughs> that would coat his stomach. He wouldn't be able to get drunk. And and I said, well, how am I going to give him grease? You know. The only way that I thought I could margarine, stick a margarine. But who is going to eat a stick of margarine? You know, I would, he wouldn't do that. So that wasn't a good reason. But she was on my side. And, um, and God loved it. His mother was on my side, too, different times. And um, she lived in Chicago. She still does. And at this time, any time that he would go nuts and he'd, he'd take me to the end of my rope, so to speak, I'd call his mother. And she worked on the railroad, and she was able to come out on a train right away and help, you know. And she'd sit down and would have these big conversations at the table, you know. And they uh, always had talks with him because I thought one of these days I am going to get through. He's going to hear me one of these days. And so I, I, I told him that... Um, in front of his mother. You know, I said, you know what, I think um, we can't, since we can't get a divorce, and, and we couldn't do that because he told me I couldn't do that. See? <laughs> he said, you can't do that because if you do that, he said, I'll just follow you no matter where you go. And he said, if you get married again, I'll come and I'll sleep in between you. <laughs> you know. So he said, you, you can't get, you can't let, divorce me. So I said, since I can't divorce you, how about if you die? And you know what? This was real. I mean, this was, honest to God, real conversation at my table. And you know what he said? I think it's a good idea. But he said, who's going to do it? Because he said, I don't want to do it. And I said, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to jail. But like he reminded me, if I would have killed him when I wanted to, I'd have been out of jail by now. <laughs> Of course, he just told me that. No, he didn't, you know. 
might have been back at. But his mother was sitting there, and she was listening to this conversation. And she said, Jack, you know what? If you're going to kill yourself, it would be a good idea if you'd do it while she's still young enough to get herself another man, you know. (laughs) So, now you have to remember that his mother was also married to an alcoholic. And he was very, very active, you know. And, but she was helping me, see? And so if his own mother said that, and you know what? Your mother loves you no matter what you do. So I thought if his own mother said that, I must be right. And it just reinforced that I was right and he was wrong, no matter what was going on in our house. And when Jack didn't do what I told him to do, I punished him. And I didn't realize that I punished him until I came down. I didn't call it that. What I, I, I would sit at home and I would be so bitter and so resentful and so angry and I would think up all these things. The pain was so bad and I was so lonely and scared and I had all these fears and, and I, it was his fault. And I had to get even. I had to get even. I had to get even with him and hurt him back as much as he was hurting me but I didn't, he couldn't know that I was hurting him because he's bigger than I am. And I was afraid if he knew, I might be the one getting killed. You know. And so I would do things like um, weekends were nasty. You know, he was a daily drinker and a weekend drunk. And so if he wouldn't, like Sunday, you know what? The world says Sunday's family day. Everybody knows that. So that's what I wanted. I wanted family day. Okay, now, on Sunday, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to the zoo. We're going to da-da-da. We're gonna, you know, anything. Just be a family. And if he didn't do that, and if he got out of there somehow, you know, he would sneak out of the house and he'd be gone and I couldn't find him, uh, then on Monday morning when I got out to do the whoosh, I would starch his shorts and his socks. <laughs> see. Now, now, see, he didn't know that I was doing that to him. But I dressed him also, (laughs) and I bought his clothes, and I bought him, Jack worked in the mill, in the Westinghouse, in plants, and he was a plumber, pipe fitter. All he needed was two flannel shirts a year. So every September, I'd go out and I'd buy him two. And I hate flannel shirts today. And they, everybody kept saying to me, well, you always bought them. Why didn't you buy something different? You know? Well, I didn't because they were the cheapest thing I could get my hands on. I'd take one off his back and wash one and then give him back, you know. And he played drums. And so I had him two flannel shirts. And then I, I got him a black suit and a white shirt and a tie. And the black suit was for funerals, weddings, or when he played drums. All right. And so when he would wake, I would wake him up because he said, if you don't wake me up, I'll kill you. And then when I'd woke him up, he tried to kill me. So I just like, I couldn't win, you know. I would have to put some water in his ear and then run out and hold the, bed, hold the door shut and lay down on the floor and, you know, so he couldn't get me because he'd kill me because I woke him up. But he told me the night before, if you don't wake me up, I'll kill you because i got to get to work. So, see, I, I didn't know what to do. I had to do these things, and, and so as a result, like, um, it's a good thing I came down on. That's all I got to say. So, anyhow, I want to go and 
punish him so that I can get even. And and then I, I'd hand him, like, his shorts. Here, you know, wake him up. He sits on the side of the bed. Here, put these on, you know. And he said, oh, I think these are, like, he was never much aware, you know. And he said, I think these are a little stiff. <laughs> and I said, well, you know what? I, probably I didn't get all the soap out. You know how that happens sometimes, ladies. <laughs> you know. So I said, if you just like, you know, remember rubbing together when starch was, you know, if you rub it, you know, it'll, they'll be okay. And so he'd rub it a little bit and he'd wear them all. <laughs> I heard him when he led one time, he stopped in gas stations a lot of times and took off his underwear. <laughs> I don't think he knew why. <laughs> they hurt, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you what I didn't do, though. I didn't wash them with fiberglass drapes. I was not that mean. I wasn't. So, and the other thing that I would do whenever he wouldn't come home is I would, like, well, I found out by accident this was a good thing to do. Because he come home, and I had just waxed the floor in the kitchen and put my throw rugs on and... He came home, and I heard him, you know, falling and, and sliding and banging and swearing. And I bit my lip again. I did that a lot, you know, because if he heard me laugh, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> so I thought, you know what, this is great. So whenever he wouldn't come home, I'd, I waited up all night, you see, because when he came home, I had to tell him he was drunk. I, you know, because... If I told him every day, every day, day after day, day after day, you're drunk again, you're drunk again, one of these times he was going to hear me and say, Jesus, i got to quit that, you know. So that's why I had to stay up and tell him all the time, because no one else was telling him, nobody else cared. You know, I was the only one who cared about him. So I put a coat of wax on the floor, and, and I'm waiting for him to come home, and I'm looking out the window, you know, watching for the cars and telling God, you better get him home soon. So I could take care of him, you know. And the floor would dry and he wasn't home, so another coat would go on. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and maybe three or four coats, you know. And then the rugs went on. It was glossy, you know. And he would come home and he would ride on the rugs, you know. <laughs> and he didn't know, you know. So he wasn't mad at me for it. So I was getting rid of some of these resentments, you know. <laughs> he didn't know. And uh, then he told me, uh, you know, he always told me, you get me up for work and I don't care what you have to do. But you make sure. So if I was in the bedroom, I used the dust mop to prod him, you know, and try to get him up. And if he was on my couch, you know, laying on my, sometimes I didn't even let him sleep in my bed. Then he'd go to my couch. And then I wouldn't let him on my couch, you know. But if he was on my couch... Then I used to broom, and I'd just get his legs with this, you know, his jab his legs to wake him up. And I got rid of some more, you know. This is the kind of life we were living, you know. And my little girl, Debbie, was on my side. See, she was on my side growing up. It was just the two of us, and we were a team, and he was the bad guy, you know. And he, she'd get up for school in the morning, and I'd say, now, look at the sink. See those beer bottles over there? 
Well, he didn't come home till two. Then he drank all those. Then he left here again this morning. God knows whether he went to work or not, Debbie. But this is your father. Aren't you proud? Now, you know who you like more, me or him. Let's talk about it. <laughs> and, um, and then, then I say, okay, now you go to school. And you make good grades. You know. And um, I'm not proud of that. But I did that. And I sent her to school. I sent her to school one time an hour early because I didn't change the clocks because time meant nothing to me, and I, I didn't do that. So she was there an hour early. The janitor took care of her. He gave her a donut and some milk for an hour before school started. And uh, when I think about that today, that panics me really bad. I didn't even know that until she came home from school and told me because I still, I was in that house in that house by myself the only thing I did in that house was think about what I was going to do to fix this how I was going to change him because you see he told me that I was responsible and so he couldn't do anything about his drinking and if I couldn't there was no hope so I had to keep trying because no one else would try and so that meant our life is hopeless if I can't fix it so I couldn't stop trying so that's what I would do. I'd stay in there and I would think. And I would listen to country and western music because that's like my favorite. And I'd cry all day with it. And, you know, like the songs like, Please Release Me. <laughs> you know, uh, the tears would come and I'd cry so bad I wanted him to let me go. You know, I couldn't stand his pain anymore. And, and then the one that really made me cry too was you probably never even heard this one from the bottle to the bottom stool by stool and I knew Jack was going and I knew I was going with him and I didn't know how to stop it I didn't know how to stop it I was progressively getting sick just right with him because I can remember the day when I said do not stop after work come straight home for dinner and he didn't do that so then I said, okay, stop for a few beers, but that would be later in a couple hours, okay? Okay, he said. And he'd say, okay, y'all, as long as I say you can drink, he'd say, okay, you know. So then he didn't do that. He'd stay out all night, all, all evening. And I'd say, okay, that's fine, but don't stay out overnight. Well, you know what? That happened. And so then I had to move on. And I moved on to then don't spend all your, your whole pay. And then the day came when he spent his whole pay. And so now what am I going to say? You can't stay out for a whole weekend. That's the next thing. Don't stay out for a while. And then he did that. So I just went with him down. As he was going, I was going also. And that's how I progressed. And the day came, um, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else to do. When I first came into Al-Anon, I remember they wouldn't let me listen to country and western music for the first couple of years. <laughs> That's it. it was so bad, I'd put it on, and go into a meeting, I'd put it on in a car, and I'd get to the meeting and I'd be bawling, you know? <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to listen to it, you know, at all. But I had this friend, Debbie, all right, and when she was 10 years old, I told her that, I said, Debbie, what do you think about this marriage of ours? <laughs> I said, do you think we should get a divorce? She said, yeah, Mommy, I can't stand living with him anymore. 
And I said, fine, that's tomorrow morning. We'll start procedures. <laughs> I saw that on TV. You know. <laughs> and so then about an hour later, you know, she'd be crying. And I'd say, no, what's your problem, kid? You know. And she said, I don't want a divorce from him, Mommy. He needs me. I said, well, then, all right, forget it. Oh, we won't do it. And it was that simple. I allowed a 10-year-old to make the decisions for me because I couldn't make any myself. Um, then all of a sudden, one day, um, Debbie changed and went to the other side. And now she became his <laughs> friend and not mine, and I was left alone, and I didn't have anybody. Debbie didn't like me anymore, because Debbie decided that the reason her dad drank is because her mother hollered. <laughs> and I remember her saying to me, you know what, if you'd leave him alone, and if you'd keep your mouth shut, he would come home here for dinner, and I'll see to it that he comes home for dinner for a while. And she did, and what she did was, Instead of taking the car to work, he would take the bus. And she met him at the bus stop every day so she could bring her dad home for dinner so that everything would be okay and there would be no fights. And she did that for a while. And then the day came when she went, and he didn't get off the bus. And this is something that, like, it's a sad part of his story that he didn't, he didn't mention, but he... He hid and went on to the next stop so that she wouldn't see him. And he's not proud of that either. But that's the kind of stuff that happened to us in our, our lives. So Debbie couldn't fix it anymore either, but she certainly did try. And so as a result, you know, she, you know, got herself all messed up. Um, the day came when I, you know, he wasn't dying and... Um, wasn't going anywhere, and I had no more answers, and I didn't know how to try it. I didn't know what else to try. I had nothing left to try. I had tried it all, and um, I got—I uh, just wanted to die. I didn't care if I lived either, and that was the only answer that I, I had. And I watched a lot of TV, and I didn't want any pain. So I saw this girl, and she laid her head in the oven and turned it on, and they found her, and she didn't have all that much pain, so I thought that's a good way to go, to get out of here. So I decided that night I was going to kill myself, but by this time they had another little girl, and um, I needed to take them with me because, you see, he was nuts and I wasn't. And so I couldn't leave them with him, so I had to take them with me, and I, didn't, I had a little oven at the time, and there wasn't room for three heads, <laughs> you know? And I knew that Debbie would fight, because she's like 11 years old now, see. I knew she'd fight. And so it was like a bad idea. And I got company that night, and this girl needed me, and I was always there for someone who needed me. And so, you know what, that was it. Then the next day, um, I just fell apart. I just fell apart. I just fell on the floor in my dining room, and I started to cry, and I couldn't talk. I just couldn't talk. And... Um, Debbie called my mother and said, Grandma, I don't know what's the matter with Mommy, but she's on the floor crying and I can't get her up. And 
my mother came and she packed a brown paper bag with clothes and took me and my kids out of there. And um, that was the first time that I had left Jack. I, I didn't leave him. I threatened a lot, talked about it, but I never went anywhere. And um, I, 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 honest to God, I reached my bottom. I couldn't do any more, and I left. And, you know, he called me up. Well, first of all, I was gone for three days before he found it out. You talk about rejection, you know. Because we had a two-story house, and he would sneak in late at night, lay on a couch, get up and sneak out, you know. And uh, he didn't even know we weren't there for three days. And so when he found out, he called, and he, he told me that I had ruined his life by taking his children out of the house. And it was Christmas time. You know, we're, everything's dramatic. Everything's dramatic, you know. And it was Christmas, and he told me that I had ruined his life. I took his children out of the house at Christmas time, and he was leaving the first of the year, and he was going to California. And if I wanted to go, I'd better be ready. And I don't know where it came from, but I told him, I said, you know what? I wouldn't go across the street with you. And I hung up. And I don't know where that came from because I couldn't live without him. And I had reached it. And I, no more. Indirectly, um, AA came up. And then, um, I guess, uh, Al-Anon came up. And... um, I didn't want to go to Illinois because, you see, I wasn't sick. He was. He did it. You fix it. And that was the way I felt. They told me when I went into some AA rooms that uh, I didn't belong there, that I didn't understand him like they did. And, boy, did that make me mad. How many years I have lived with him. Do you have any idea what I have done for him? And I don't understand him. And you know him for three weeks, and you understand him better than I do? Uh Uh-uh. No, I don't think so, little girl. I knew, was not happy. And they told me, honey, you're not sick. I said, oh, yes, I am. So they send me to Eleanor, and Eleanor says, you got to do some changes. There's something wrong with you. I said, oh, no, there's not. <laughs> so, so you see, it's okay to be sick in AA because they weren't going to make me do anything. But when I went into Eleanor, they wanted me to change and do stuff. I didn't want to do anything because I wanted him to do it. I was tired of doing it, and I wanted to sit back now and let him do it. It's his turn and his time. And that AA sponsor of his said, you can do anything you want, Jack, just don't drink. Well, he had no idea the stuff I went through all those years. I jumped up. I said, you're crazy. You don't know what he does when he drinks. I don't care. He could do anything he wants as long as he don't drink, you know. And and he was wonderful. Oh, he was marvelous, you know. Because he didn't drink today. And they celebrated him, you know. Did you drink today? No. Well, then you, <laughs> you're great, you know. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, they're saying, easy does it, Jack. Okay, that's fine. But I have a three-year-old who's getting lost in the grass, you know, and says, hi. <laughs> you know, like, who's going to cut the grass? Not him. Because 
He has to come home from work, and he has to eat his dinner, and then he has to lay on the couch, and easy does it. <laughs> no. And then we have to get ourselves cleaned up because we're going to another meeting. So they can tell me how great I am, you know. Oh, I was so tired of him, and, you know, oh, man. I said, when is it my turn? You know, when is it my turn? I mean, going to Eleanor meetings, but as you can see, it's not working too well. Because <laughs> I was telling them, you know what, this program is not going to work for me. Not. I'm going to tell you why. I'll, I'll introduce you to them, and you'll know why. You know? <laughs> If you lived with him, you would know I couldn't get this program, ever. And so they said, well, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just come back for a while, and we'll see. And I thought, I will. And one of these days, they're going to say, you know what? You're right. It ain't going to work for you, you know? Because I was so mean. I was so belligerent. I wanted answers. I wanted help. I wanted them to help me. And if they wouldn't help me fix them, I wanted them to form a hit team. <laughs> I thought a hit team sounded like a good idea, you know? As there's a lot of people in Illinois like me, you know? Let's get together and do something, you know? And this is the way I felt. This is what I thought when I went there. And, you know, and, but I kept going. I kept going, you know? They said, look, just bring the body. If the body's warm, set it in a chair, and if it's breathing and it's warm, something will happen to it as long as it's there. But it has to be, you have to bring the body to the meetings. It has to be at the meetings to get anything. And so I kept going back because I didn't have any place else to go. I just didn't. And I kept going back to meetings, and they said to me, now, if someone asked you to do something, you say yes, 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 yes. So I start saying yes, 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 and then I got myself so busy, then they told me, now you have to learn how to say no. <laughs> you know. So I had to go learn how to say no, you know, back and forth. But meanwhile, what was happening to me is I was forgetting about him because I was into Mina. I was into Eleanor. I was into doing stuff for me. But now we got this daughter is 12 years old. She hates me. And I'm not too fond of her, let me tell you that. But you see, you don't, a mother does not say, I hate my child. Mother don't say that. So I had to go to meetings until I heard, I heard a tape. And I don't even know who it was. And I remember her saying, I hated my child. Oh, my God, I cried. I thought, I'm going to be okay. I'm allowed to hate her and I'm going to be okay. So I kept going to meetings because I'd hear stuff like that and make me feel you're going to be a, an okay person, you know, just keep coming back. And I just kept coming back. I wasn't able to do very much, but I just, I just kept going. And I hated him. And you don't hate, you don't tell your next door neighbor, I hate my husband, you know. You don't do that. And somebody at a meeting one time said, I hate my husband. And I, oh, once again, I'm home because I can say that now. And I'm going to be all right. I can say that and get rid of that, you know. So a little time I was getting rid of these things by hearing other people, but I didn't confess yet. 
No. No, nobody knew there was anything wrong with Janet. Uh-uh. No, not yet. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, one time, at a meeting, I felt my mouth, instead of frowning, I felt it going up, you know, like a smile. And I thought, don't let anybody see you smile. They'll think you're happy. Yeah. And they'll think that this is working, and you told them it wouldn't, you know. And meanwhile, they all knew, you know, they all knew. And, um, and the day came when I laughed, and then I laughed out loud, you know. And Jack talked about that, you know. You end up laughing at yourself, and it's so healing to do that, and it was great. Now, here's Jack in AA, and he's, he's like, uh, trying to find himself, you know, and um, he's trying to find out who I am because I'm changing, see. And I'm, and I'm trying to find out who I am because I didn't have, I wasn't a me, you know. And I'm trying to find out who he is now because he's changing. And then I got this 12-year-old daughter who desperately needed help, and neither one of us could help her. And I knew nothing. I grabbed her. I carried her. I literally carried her into an Alateen meeting and handed her over to the sponsor. She hated me for it. But that's the only place I knew that would help her. And about four months after that, she turned around. She liked it. So here we have her now. She's like, she's changing. You know, she's trying to find out who her new father is, her new mother is, you know. And, and we're trying to get together as parents and do the right thing. Now we're going to be consistent with discipline. <laughs> you know. So we were all nuts. We were all nuts. And we're all in the program probably about nine months, and we decided we're all well. Now we're going to sit around the table and discuss things we don't like about one another, so we'll change. <laughs> so we thought we would change then. You know, well, you know what? It don't work. <laughs> It don't work. It didn't work. And so, you know, that was the end of that. We all left there mad. We had to go back to our meetings again and start all over, you know. But I kept going to my meetings, you know. And um, I learned what a resentment was. I learned what detachment was. You know, I couldn't always do that detachment stuff. When I first heard it, I said, get the dictionary. You know, that's a big word. Read it. Tell me what it means. Um, you know, I was just so... I just wanted it. I wanted the magic answer, and I wanted to be free of pain because I hurt so bad. I never thought the pain could go away. I just didn't think it would ever go away. And so I was still wanting them to fix it, wanting someone else to fix it. But as I kept going, I started to feel better. I couldn't believe it. I started to feel better. And I remember I went to a lot of meetings. And so Jack and I started fighting about that. Like, who's going to get out the door first, you know? And so, you know, we'd go, uh, my home group was on a Monday, so was his, you know? Well, it wasn't in the beginning, and he changed. So, <laughs> so it was like back and forth, you know? We had, so I'd go one night, he'd go another night, then we'd get a babysitter for the other two nights and get our daughter for this night. Because, you see, I needed to go to as many meetings as he did. And I remember my sponsor said, you know what, Dina, there's only one difference between me and my wife. He said, she drank, and I didn't. And I said, you're full of crap. I, no way did I ever want to think I was like him, you know. 
And I believe that today. There's only one difference between my husband and myself. And he drank and I didn't. And I believe that now. That's the truth. Because I was exactly like him. Whatever he could do to me, I could do to him. You know? And uh, I was just as angry as him. If I'd have had a gun in my hand, somebody would have been killed. Either I'd have killed myself or him. I did have a gun in my hand. He came home in the middle of the night and I was sleeping with it. He got it so I could protect myself. And when he walked in the bedroom and see me with it, he backed away. <laughs> and he started calling my name till I woke up because he didn't want to come in the bedroom and get shot. So uh, the next day the gun disappeared and he gave it away. And I got, I didn't have my gun anymore and it's good. It's good because I couldn't afford to have it. I couldn't afford to have it, it would scare me. Um, so Debbie's an L teen. She decides she's going to quit school and get married three months before graduation. <laughs> Guess where I went to an L meeting as fast as I could go. And um, no amount of talking could get her out of it, none. She wanted him, she was going traveling with him, and that was the end of it. And if I didn't, my sponsor said to me, well, he said, I'll, I'll, he said, look at it this way. He said, if you don't sign for her, what's going to happen? I said, she's going to run away. He said, well, then you'll lose your daughter altogether. So I signed. She's married 25 years, so, so I guess it was okay, you know. But that was a tough road, you know, and every time something come up, I had a problem, I ran to Illinois because that's the only place I knew to go. That was my answer. That's where I felt good. And, um, and I remember them saying, you know, if you go to one meeting, you feel good. If you go to two, you feel twice as good. If you go to three, and oh, I wanted it. I wanted it. The first year of Jack's sobriety was the worst year, worst year of our lives, and we're married 41 years, and that was the worst because he hung over my head constantly. If you fight with me, I am getting drunk. <laughs> so, so back there, I am at an Illinois meeting. What am I going to do? They said, you're going to have to give him the responsibility of his own drinking. What do you mean by that? Well, when he tells you that, you say, Jack, there's the door. Don't let it hit in the ass on the way out. <laughs> if you want to drink, go drink. And I said, I can't tell him that. He'll, you don't know what he does when he drinks. So they had to remind me, what did you do for years? And it's true. You know, I tried to stop him, you know, at the door, and then he'd be macho, and I'd fly, and he'd drink. So I had to try their way. The very next day, this happened every day. It's all we did, you know, it's fight. And so I'm doing the dishes, and he's pacing, pacing back and forth. I thought, it's coming, it's coming. And he said it, you know what, I am so sick of this here, and, you know, it's all you do is fight with me, and you're, I'm going to get drunk. I thought, oh, I thought, I'm going to throw up in a dishpan because I'm sick. I've got to say that, and I can't. But I knew I had to, because I had to prove to them at that meeting, it don't work. So <laughs> I did. I told him, I said, Oh, I said, Jack, there's the door. Um, I was real nice about it, though. Yeah. I said, you know, if you want to drink, uh, go ahead. Don't let that door hit you in the ass. And, you know, and, you know <laughs> he stopped then. He walked over to me, and he looked me right in the eye, and he said, 
Nobody can make me drink if I don't want to drink. <laughs> All that time. That's what I had to say. And it would have worked, you know? <laughs> and then you think, boy, well, you dummy, you know, but hey, no. Nope. So, and I remember after I was in Al-Anon for a while, um, I'm not telling anything on Jack. He told us about himself. Um, he, he did a little drinking after he, you know, come into AA. And um, so I had a chance to experience <laughs> how Eleanor works when somebody's drinking, you know. And um, you know what? I didn't do anything. Eleanor worked for me because I, I was scared. I was scared. And I remember my daughter come home from school, and I thought, I've got to tell her. I've got to tell her. And I said, Deb, you know what? Um, Daddy's drinking. She ran across the floor and threw herself up against the wall and said, my God, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to eat dinner. <laughs> I, I wanted to fly up against the wall with her, but I was in Illinois. And I said, we're going to sit down and eat dinner. And she said, you're crazy. We can't do that. I said, we are. And I went put everything on. I sat down and, and her, my, her sister and myself and were sitting there eating dinner and I'm telling you what, it was the hardest thing I ever did was to eat and let the food get down and talk to Jackie and things that were going, you know. And um, Debbie watched me on the corner of her eye and she walked around, sat down and she ate her dinner. So Eleanor gave that to my kids because I couldn't do that but I was going to enough meetings. I took that body there, and it worked for me. And she sat down and ate. I um, just want to tell you a few more things before I sit down. Um, this uh, Debbie, the, she, she got married. She was out of the program for 10 years, and that, those 10 years got worse for her and I. It was just terrible, that thing that's there between... Um, a mother and a daughter. There was the competition, uh, and she didn't like me, and I didn't like her, but it was never expressed. It was just she would ask me to do things for her, and if I said no, then she freaked on me and said, you never liked me anyway, and, you know, and I had a call, and I had to go to another Al-Anon meeting because I couldn't stand that, you know, and I had to talk to them in order to be able to say no, and the le it was legitimate when I said no. I couldn't possibly do it, but I had to go to another meeting because of that. And uh, she came back 10 years later. Um, she was like laying on a couch and she was depressed all the time. And my mother told me that was happening. So I went up and I kicked the couch and I said, get up, girl, we're going to an Illinois meeting. Get up, you know, that's it. Well, I got her, I got her back down on it. She was back down on for about a week and a half, and we found out it was leukemia, not depression. That is why she couldn't get up. And um, Debbie went through everything that you go through: the nine months in the hospital, and losing the hair, the skin, the nails, and um, they had to kill her to keep her alive, so to speak. And um, that was Thanksgiving of '83. And Debbie, two years ago, 
got a clean bill of health from her doctor. It's not remission, folks. She doesn't have leukemia anymore. And there's nothing you can say about that. That's what happened. And she's going to Al-Anon meetings. And um, what happened with that is they told me in the hospital that she needed white cells. That was the white cells, white platelets, to go home and call people immediately. And so when I went home, I called, I called a person in AA and I called a person in Al-Anon. And two days later, the blood bank called me and asked me to stop sending people down there for Debbie Hackwalder <laughs> because they just had so many people waiting in line for her that it was, like, unreal. And, um, and she's doing fine today. And my granddaughter, um, she's um, 21. She's doing real good. And his grandson, he's a sweet thing. He's going to be 18. You know how sweet they are, boys, when they're 18, you know. He's a cutie. <laughs> Some of them are trying for this program in their own way, you know. And I just love them, just love them. Our youngest daughter was able to go to school. She was able to do things because she didn't have to worry about taking care of her mommy and daddy at home. So she was able to go, and she was able to get, she got A's all over the place, and she was winning money and scholarships, and she was going to college. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nobody, and this is no one in our family ever went to college. I graduated high school when I was the top dog, you know, I was special. She's going to college. So I put my waitress shoes on and I went on and I, you know, I helped her. She gets her bachelor. She says, I'm going to go for my master's. I said, I can't. I can't. My feet are tired. <laughs> no. And she said, don't worry, Mom, I'll take care of it. No. Do you know how many times in my life I've heard somebody tell me, I'll, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it? And... But she did. She won a scholarship down in St. Louis, Washington University, for seven years to get her master's or, and her Ph.D., if she so choose. She got her master's down there, and we got a certificate in the mail that to the scholarship family. We are very special people. And if every child had parents like us, what a beautiful world this would be. <laughs> Isn't that something? Huh? Uh, I said if they only knew where we came from. That's on my living room wall, and it will never go anywhere. And I keep it dusted and clean so everybody can read it, you know? So we have... A lot of, we have a son-in-law who's in NA 10 years this month, and uh, then we have others <laughs> who, uh, they don't have a problem yet, you know, and they don't need this program, and uh, you just have to, like, stand back, and I call my brother every once in a while just to tell him I love him, because he can't come around us because of who we are and what we represent. But I have to let him know that's okay. I don't care what you do. I love you anyway. And that's the best thing I can do is just tell him that I love him. Same thing, Jack's got a little brother too. He's in Hawaii and he's over there. And um, He got himself sober now a year ago and in adult children. Um, I guess that works. I guess that's okay, you know. So 
you know. So we have good and we have the bad, but that's life. I need Eleanor just in order to do life one day at a time. And um, this has been real nice here. You know, uh, you're, you're, such, you're a beautiful crowd, and you respond so well, and it makes, it makes me feel so good. Um, you know, when Jack was drinking, I want to tell you this, and then I promise I'll sit down. Um, when he was drinking, I wanted to know, where are you, who are you with, what are you doing? You know, who are you doing it with? You know, like you found somebody in your car, you know? Well, he always ran to the car to make sure there was no one in it before I got there, you know? And um, so anyway, I was always the inspector. You know, now I got the badge to prove, you know, (laughs) I was a real good inspector, policeman, you know? And uh, so I wanted to know all this, you know? And I couldn't find it out. You know, and now, you know, when we took our daughter, our youngest, to St. Louis, that was like that was that was my empty nest syndrome starting. And that same time, he lost his job. So it was real good because the two of us understood one another's feelings, and we were good for each other. And because of that, he started his own business. And uh, out of necessity. So he's the plumber, and I'm the office manager, and I'm his boss. <laughs> and he has a beeper so that I can get a hold of him anytime, anywhere, <laughs> any place. So now, what I prayed for before, I have. Only now I don't want it. So, so it's kind of like you have to be careful what you pray for because you might get it. So. Thank you.